Well, it is a fantastic day to be a Zag as the Bulldogs dominate San Francisco at home while St. Mary's takes a loss to LMU. What it all means for Gonzaga's WCC Championships hopes right here, Locked on Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked on Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to give you daily reports through another season of Gonzaga basketball. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook partner of Locked On. Make every moment more by visiting fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started. All right, we got a very, very exciting show today talking about Gonzaga's win over San Francisco, the great things that we saw in that contest, talking about LMU's big, big victory over St. Mary's, what it means for the WCC standings, what it means for Gonzaga specifically. We'll preview BYU and that game on Saturday, National Gonzaga Day. By the way, on Saturday, we'll preview that game in the second segment, close out the show, looking at the NBA trade deadline and how it impacted every single Zag. None of them got traded, but a lot of them saw their playing time situations change quite dramatically. So we're going to talk about that to close out the show and the week. But we got to start with Gonzaga's big 99-81 victory over the Dons of San Francisco, a team that, that took a Rasir Bolton game-winning shot to beat last time. This time, no drama. The Zags jumped out to an early lead and really never relinquished it. Quite honestly, I was a little surprised at the lack of energy. I almost said effort, and I don't want to criticize effort for players, so who knows if that's the situation. But it, it, USF looked a little listless in this one. They were on the road, obviously. Maybe they're just a little worn down. Uh, game plan did not work. Gonzaga came out and out-executed from the start. And they never really kind of they never really crawled back into the game. Gonzaga was able to coast, which is something we've seen from Gonzaga, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot, 80 something percent of the time over the last five, 10, 15, in some ways, years in the WCC. But we haven't seen a lot of it this year. And it was nice to see a game where Gonzaga kind of got out early, let things go. Uh, Zags were celebrating Dan Dickow, throwing his jersey up in the rafters, hence why I'm tossing Dan Dickow's Atlanta Hawks jersey on, for those of you watching the show on YouTube. Uh, just a fun, fun environment for the Zags. Cool opportunity for this team to come out there and, and, and take care of business. Rasir Bolton had 23 points on 8 of 9 shooting. You can bet that he really wanted to have a good game against the Dons. He got screamed at by a fan last time these two teams played. Wasn't USF's fault in terms of the, the players on the court or the coaches or anything like that. I think he probably knows that, but he had a three early in the first half, and he kind of he, he said something to the bench. I don't know what he said exactly, but he had a comment, and I, I suspect it might be related to how he was treated the last time these two teams played at War Memorial Stadium, but really nice to see him have a great game. He attacked the rim relentlessly. He was fantastic in every facet of the basketball game. Drew Timmy got the most attention in the first half in particular, 21 points, 8 of 11 from the field in the contest. He only played 20 minutes because the Zags just didn't need him in the second half. There was not really any compelling reason to keep him out there. Uh, there was some, like, should he try to chase Julian Strother's 40-point game? The Zags probably wisely said, yeah, let's just give you a break, big fella. Let's just sit on the bench. We'll give uh, Anton Watson a lot of run tonight. We'll give Ben Gregg a good amount of run tonight. And uh, Timmy had some of the prettiest shots I've seen from him all season long. Uh, San Francisco was adamant about single coverage. It didn't work. I don't know why they stuck with it. It was an odd decision, uh, but his baseline fadeaway jumper, if you haven't seen the highlight of that, don't stop listening to the show, but when you're done with the show, go find the highlight, Drew Timmy fadeaway. It was 
beautiful. We know he's a big Dirk Nowitzki guy, big Dallas guy. He channeled some Dirk in that shot. Really, really nice one. Uh, other great performances, Anton Watson, 15 and 10 with four steals. It feels like that's almost ho-hum for him at this point. He's just been having an absolutely fantastic season. Played 38 minutes, so Gonzaga didn't rest all the starters. They rested Drew, uh, but they let Anton run out there a pretty good amount in this one. Hunter Salas coming off the bench once again. Fantastic performance from him. 13.6 of 6 from the free throw line. 17 minutes of action. Did most of his damage in the first half. A really nice performance from him. They called it the breakout game on the broadcast. We've seen this from him for a while. You could consider this an offensive breakout if you wanted to. I don't, I'm not shocked that he scored 13 points in 17 minutes. I'm pretty sure we all knew that he was capable of doing that. Uh, but still really nice to see him put it together offensively and have a really nice impact on the defensive end of the floor as well. I only really negative in this game was that Julian Strother and Malachi Smith both struggled. Uh, I just, maybe it's a bit greedy, especially with this team and some of the inconsistencies we've seen to expect every player to be on all at once. Quite honestly, if Julian Strother has a bad game on Thursday uh, when the Zags didn't really need him and then goes out and scores 25 against BYU, I'm fine with that. That's okay with me. Strother and Smith combined 4 of 14 from the field in this one, 0 of 5 from deep. The Zags didn't really shoot it all that well from deep. Rasir Bolton made three of their six three-pointers in this contest, but they didn't really need it. And so it's kind of one of those things where it's nitpicky to criticize something they didn't do well in a game when they won by 18 points and were basically ahead and coasting for the entirety of the contest. The big news in the WCC outside of Gonzaga's win, of course, St. Mary's losing in overtime to the Lions of LMU. They were up 15 to nothing. It was 15 to nothing at what point in this game LMU came all the way back. I think they were down seven at halftime, ended up, of course, uh, forcing overtime in the second half. One in overtime, uh, <laughs> tough, tough in emotional games for St. Mary's in the last couple of games. Of course, the overtime game against Gonzaga. Now, overtime again against LMU. Uh, shout out to the Lions. Before we get into the, the standings of, all, of it all, LMU is the first team ever, the only team ever, probably the only team that will ever do it. I think it's confirmed, in fact, that they're the only team that will ever beat Gonzaga, St. Mary's, and BYU in the WCC season. Only team to ever do it. That's incredible, and it won't. that record will stand because BYU is done, and they're out the door after this. Really, really nice performance from Stan Johnson, the head coach over there. Cam Shelton was a monster in this game. He is the, he's basically the reason Gonzaga lost to LMU. He's basically the reason that St. Mary's lost to LMU as well. He had 31 points. I think 24 of them were in the second half and overtime. Uh, 12 of 26 from the field. He had a game winner with two and a half seconds to go. He beat St. Mary's. He did it. Uh, he, he's having a monster season. I saw somebody throw out there that he's a contender for the WCC player of the year. going to be hard to take that award from Drew Timmy, especially after his performance in just basically a half of basketball uh, on Thursday. Aiden Mahaney is going to be in that conversation as well. There's a handful of other guys who will be in there, but when you are exceeding expectations the way the LMU is, and when your best player is having a really monster season, the way that Cam Shelton is, he's definitely, definitely in that conversation. Logan Johnson had 31 for St. Mary's. Mahaney had 24. Uh, but really the story now is that Gonzaga's only one game back. They're much more in the driver's seat for potentially winning the WCC championship than they were before. What this means, it's not like this wasn't known, but what this means is that that game, February 25th at the McCarthy Athletic Center, that's a big one. It's a big one. It's the end of the regular season for the Zags. It's the uh, it's senior night uh, for whichever players we know. Rasir Bolton will be out the door. There's some potential for for many other players to be out the door as well. Uh, and it's going to be a huge, huge game. Gonzaga wins that one. Standings are tied. Standings are tied between Gonzaga and St. Mary's in first place. My understanding is the tiebreaker is the record against the second place team. 
second place or the, the next place team, which in this case is LMU. So St. Mary's not only losing to LMU hurts them in the sense that Gonzaga can potentially tie the, the standings. It also means that they don't hold that tiebreaker anymore. They don't hold that tiebreaker. Now, Gonzaga still has a game against LMU left on their calendar. It goes without saying they have to win that. If they don't win that, it doesn't matter that they don't have the tiebreaker because they, they probably won't be in first place unless St. Mary's also loses another game. St. Mary's, for the rest of the season, they have at Portland on Saturday, which, for the record, I will be at that game. If anybody else is going, wants to come say hi, please let me know. Always love meeting people at games like that. They're also at San Diego, and then they are home versus BYU, home versus Pacific, and then, of course, on the road at Gonzaga. For the Bulldogs, they are against BYU on Saturday, which we're going to talk about in the second segment. At LMU, that's a big one, of course, for them. The Lions definitely love to pick up our victory there. Uh, At Pepperdine versus San Diego at home, and then, of course, closing out the season against the Gales. Uh, It's going to be really, really, really fun finish in the WCC. I'm super excited about it. I'm glad, uh, of course, that LMU has made things more interesting in the conference as we get towards the end of the season. Well, Gonzaga's not going to get much much time to bask in this victory or bask in St. Mary's' loss uh, because they take on BYU for the final time in the WCC regular season matchup. Final time. They're playing BYU as a member of the conference at the Kennel. It's National Gonzaga Day. It's going to be an absolute blast. Here are some keys to a victory for the Bulldogs. But before we get to that, today's episode of Locked on Zags is brought to you by FanDuel. The Super Bowl is here, and we are so excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they're the number one sports book in America, FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, that is even better. They have so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. New customers join today to get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash Locked On. FanDuel has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. Plus, you can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. Maybe you like Gonzaga's odds to beat the spread at home against BYU on Saturday, or maybe you have thoughts about the Super Bowl this weekend. Either way, bet comfortably on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So basketball fans, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, at FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right, segment two, still any patents, still Locked On Zags. want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For your second listen today, check out the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. It's everything you need to know about college hoops in one place. You can hear from big-name experts, insiders, coaches, and players. Locked On College Basketball available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. All right, we're talking BYU here in the second segment, Saturday night in the McCarthy Athletic Center, National Gonzaga Day, final time facing BYU in the regular season. There are plenty of storylines heading into this game. Of course, the standings now being where they are. It's imperative that Gonzaga doesn't slip up any more games. It took a Julian Strother three with nine and a half seconds to go in order for Gonzaga to beat BYU last time out. Uh, Of course, Gonzaga also struggled with USF last week. This is kind of revenge week for the Bulldogs. A big win over USF could preclude a big win over BYU if that's the case. Here are the five keys they're going to need to follow in order to secure victory. Number one, transition defense. This was the biggest, biggest problem for Gonzaga in that first matchup between these two teams. They let BYU get out in transition, and when they got out in transition, Gonzaga was unable to find shooters on the perimeter. It was an effective strategy by Mark Pope's offense. Get out in transition, and instead of everybody going straight to the basket— 
post up on the perimeter. The offense can swing, kick it out, swing it around. Gonzaga's defense is still flailing. They're still trying to find their spots. Spencer Johnson in particular, wide open from three. It kept happening and it kept happening and it kept happening. And it was a significant problem for them. BYU made 13 threes, 13 threes in that game. That's how teams pull upsets when you knock down a bunch of outside shots. And Gonzaga kept giving them open looks. That needs to change, even if it costs Gonzaga offensive rebounds. If they get out rebounded on the defensive glass in this game, because they were spending so much energy getting back in transition, that's still a win because I think Gonzaga, their defense is good enough to handle BYU in the half court. Gonzaga's defense hasn't been great this year. I'm not pretending that that's the case, but they're good. BYU's offense is also bad. 160th in Ken Palm right now. This is not a good offensive team. You let them, you force them to play half court offense. You force them to try to get open looks that way. Your odds of winning go up quite a bit. Key number two, hit out the hit the outside shots. Zags were six of 18. Last time these two teams played, 33% from deep. 18 three-point attempts, only knocking six of them down, just not going to get it done. Bolton and Hickman were a combined one of five in that game. Strother was two of seven. Can't bag on Strother too much because one of those two was pretty darn important uh, in the final seconds of that game. But regardless, those three, those three guys combined to go three of 12 from deep. Probably not a recipe for success. Going to need to see that a little bit more so on Saturday. Of course, we know the sport, the floor spacing for a variety of reasons uh, helps the Zags, but a big part of it is going to be creating more space in the interior to let the big fellow Drew Timmy operate. Key number three kind of goes in line with key number one, which is transition defense. This is just locking down the perimeter. Again, BYU made 13 threes last time. Yeah, a lot of them were in transition, and cleaning that up is going to help. But even if you don't clean, or even if you do clean that up and you let you force BYU to play more of the half-court offense, you still got to you still got to guard the perimeter. You still got to do that. You got to make sure that you're not letting guys like Spencer Johnson, like Gideon George, like Rudy Williams coming off the bench. You can't let those guys get open looks from deep because they will knock them down. That is the best recipe for BYU to win this game. They got to hit open shots. They know that. Mark Pope knows that. The players on the team know that. The guys in the arena know that. That is going to be the biggest situation for the Zags if they can lock down the perimeter they have a much, much better chance of not only winning, but potentially securing the kind of win they had against USF, where they maybe don't have to exert a ton of energy for 39 and a half minutes. Key number four, you know what? It kind of it kind of goes with the rest of them. It turns out these are all fairly similar after what we saw last time these two teams played. Let Hunter Salas cook. We have been talking about this extensively on the podcast. We're not going to stop talking about this on the podcast, especially after Hunter Salas went off and scored 13 points in 19 minutes against the Dons of San Francisco. He did it while playing elite defense, so he is proving he is not just a weapon on that end of the floor. He can contribute offensively. He can contribute defensively. He should be playing you know, 18, 20 minutes per game like we saw against USF. His perimeter defense in this game is critical. His ability to lock down those aforementioned guys, Spencer Johnson, Gideon George, Rudy Williams, etc. His ability to slow those guys down, not let them get open looks, not let them get free trips to the basket where Gonzaga doesn't have a lot of rim protection is monumental. The fact that he can also do that while getting to the free throw line, converting his free throws, hitting open threes, uh, making good passes, all of the stuff that we have seen him do, not just against San Francisco, but over the last month or so of basketball, if he can be that player, the Zags are a much, much better team, and we're seeing it. It's not that it's not; it's inconsistent. It's there. It's there. So playing him that amount of time, letting him get that, you know, getting that opportunity to go guard BYU's best perimeter players while contributing on offense is, is a huge recipe for success for the Bulldogs. Finally, the last key here uh, for the Zags against BYU on Saturday night, get into BYU's bench. 
BYU doesn't have a ton of depth. This is not a, you know, an eight, nine deep team right now. Uh, the bench had eight points, eight points last time these two teams played in a game where they scored. I think they scored 76. Was that the final score? 70 or maybe 74. They scored 74 points. Eight of them came off the bench. That's it. Rudy Williams is one of their best players, and he came off the bench, and he was not a big offensive contributor in the scoring column. Williams had six points, but he had eight assists. So he did do stuff in that game. And you certainly don't want to see him come off the bench and nearly, nearly log a double double like he did last time out. But that's, he's kind of their only offensive weapon off the bench. And for BYU or for the Zags, getting starters in foul trouble is always going to help if the Zags can get Fasuni Traore, who wasn't a huge contributor last time out, but is one of the better bigs in the WCC. He's undersized. Uh, and this was talked about in the broadcast after the Gonzaga game on set on, uh, Thursday, excuse me, with Dave Fleming and Sean Farnham. They talked to Drew Timmy and they talked to him about his kind of strategy going up against the different types of coverages that he faced. And Farnham mentioned, uh, it looks like when you've got smaller guys on you that you're often kind of looking to draw contact and get to the free throw line. And Drew kind of, you know, he gave, he gave a player answer, which was basically, oh, like, you know, taking what the defense gives me, et cetera, et cetera, which is fine and is true. I mean, he's not, he's not lying. That's what he's doing. But I, it does speak to me that it sounds like Drew is, that's what he's trying to do. Now, it would be very helpful if Drew was a, a bit better free throw shooter. That That is part of part of the issue, I suppose. But in this game in particular, I've said this on the podcast before, if Drew draws a bunch of fouls, gets Traore in foul trouble, gets their other bigs in foul trouble, forces them to go to their bench, I don't care if he shoots four of 10 from the free throw line. I really don't. Like, I would I would like for him to shoot more. If he shoots four of 10 and Gonzaga loses by three, then yeah, we're, we're maybe going to talk about that. We're maybe going to have a bit of an issue there. But if he's getting into BYU's depth, if they're forced to play their backup center, their, their backup backup center, like their, their two backup post players because they're having foul issues, the Zags are going to win. And even if Drew Timmy's not shooting well from the free throw line, that's enough for the Zags to still pull out a victory because they just don't have the horses on that bench to compete with Gonzaga uh, if they are forced to do so. We're going to close out the show today looking at how every Zag in the NBA was impacted at the just absolutely bonkers NBA trade deadline right after this. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, and we're switching over to talk about NBA Zags here to close out the show. I was very excited about this segment. Uh, I love the NBA trade deadline. It's one of the most exciting days in sports. There's just chaos every single year, every single year. Kevin Durant gets traded to the Phoenix Suns. That's obviously a monstrous deal. Russell Westbrook gets dealt again by the Los Angeles Lakers and then gets called like a, a spider, a poison. Like it's just thrashed in the media which is never fun or good or pleasant to read but it's just drama the league is constantly full of drama the Portland Trailblazers made multiple trades uh, shipped out Gary Payton the second acquired Matisse Tybel former Washington Husky just tons and tons and tons of move and so when the dust finally settled and you look at the eight Zags who are currently playing in the NBA did not include Chet Holmgren because I'm talking about how this will impact these guys for the rest of the season specifically. It's kind of interesting to see how many guys were dramatically impacted. Some guys who were maybe not dramatically impacted. So we're going to go through these guys one by one, give a quick report on what the trade deadline means for them and also take a look at how they have performed on the season so far. The number one guy who's most impacted, and I tease this on Twitter for those of you who are following along there, is Zach Collins. Zach Collins is now the starting center for the San Antonio Spurs. The Spurs traded Jakob Pertl. You guys might remember him. Uh, played at the University of Utah. Got cooked. 
cooked by DeMontis Sabonis in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Pirtle got traded back to the Toronto Raptors, where he began his NBA career. On a trade for Kem Birch, Birch is kind of a non-factor. It was more of a a money-balancing situation for San Antonio. And so now Zach Collins penciled in. He's the starting center. He's going to start for the San Antonio Spurs. He's played 44 games this season. He's made seven starts already, so we've seen it periodically throughout the year. He's averaging about 21 minutes per game. I'd expect that to go up 25, 26, uh, maybe even more minutes per game for Zach, and and he's having a career year. This isn't getting a ton of attention in the media. Uh, Zach, obviously a guy who's dealt with so many injuries that I think he's kind of fallen off the radar, uh, even for Gonzaga fans who, who pay close attention to the guys in the NBA, but Zach Collins right now, nine and a half points per game, 5.7 rebounds, two and a half assists, shooting 59% on two-point shots and 35% on threes. He's got a career high in points, career high in assists, and a career high in two-point field goal percentage. He's having the best season of his career. And for the rest of the year, he's going to start and he's going to play 26, 27 minutes per game. If he doesn't get hurt, this is for sure going to finish as the best year of his career. He's not old. He's still very, very young. Very young. I think he's 24. 5, 24, 25, something like that. There's a lot of basketball left in Zach Collins' career and getting a chance to start, even on a team that is clearly tanking, like the San Antonio Spurs. Like They're not trying to win basketball games at all, but it's still a cool opportunity for Zach Collins to get a chance to start uh, for the rest of the season. Next up, Rui Hachimura. The Los Angeles Lakers were busy. Boy, howdy, were they busy. Of course, Rui has already been uh, with the Lakers for eight games, so he was kind of not exactly a trade deadline acquisition, but uh, leading up to the trade deadline acquisition. On the deadline day themselves, the Lakers acquired Jared Vanderbilt. They acquired Mo Bamba from the Magic. They acquired Malik Beasley. They acquired Wenyan Gabriel. They also traded Thomas Bryant, their backup center. They traded Russell Westbrook, aforementioned trade there. They traded Patrick Beverly. So they acquired more front court players than they gave up, which is worth pointing out. However, most of the projections still have Rui starting a power forward for the Lakers. Bamba is going to effectively replace Thomas Bryant as the backup center for the Lakers, backing up Anthony Davis. Uh, Vanderbilt is going to back up Rui at the four, and there's a chance he takes some of his minutes. I think it's possible that Rui's going to lose a little bit of playing time uh, now that there's a little bit more depth in the front court for the Lakers. That's maybe not necessarily a bad thing for the Lakers, certainly. It's not great for Rui, although I think it'll be fine. Uh, So far for the season, in his eight games, six starts that he has played with Los Angeles, he is averaging 11.3 points. 6.1 rebounds, half an assist. Probably going to need to work on distributing the ball a little bit better. That's never been a huge strength of Rui's, but 11.6 boards is is a really nice result uh, for Rui and the Lakers, and I'm sure if he continues to produce like that, he's going to be a big part of what Los Angeles does for the rest of the season. Number three, Andrew Nembhard, rookie point guard for the Indiana Pacers. Uh, The Pacers acquired Jordan Wara from Milwaukee. They acquired George Hill, and they acquired Serge Ibaka. I didn't really give up anything. They cut... Uh, Goga Bidzadze, they cut James Johnson, they cut Terry Taylor. So they cut three players, added a couple more. It is going to, the, George Hill's going to play, and he's going to play the one and the two, the similar position to Andrew Nembhard. So that might cut into his playing time a tiny bit, but I don't think so. I think that the Pacers are pretty pretty locked in on giving Nembhard a significant role for the rest of the season. Uh, in fact, Hill might be a, a nice veteran mentor. Might be a, a kind of a guy that can be added into the mix because the rest of uh, Tyrese Halliburton's not not particularly old. Ben Matherin, obviously a rookie. Chris Duarte's in his second year, uh, so there's not a lot of veterans in Indiana's backcourt. George Hill is that guy. So if he's willing and able to take on a mentorship role, that could be a benefit for Andrew Nembhard. Nembhard, 49 games on the season, 38 of them starts, eight and a half points, four assists, shooting 49% on twos and 35% from deep. Next up, Jalen Suggs, 
Orlando did make one trade. They traded Mo Bamba, as we mentioned, to the Los Angeles Lakers. In exchange, they acquired Patrick Beverly. The expectation is that Orlando is going to buy out Beverly, so he is not going to play for the team, which, if that happens, means that Orlando effectively just moved on from Mo Bamba. That doesn't impact Jalen Suggs or his playing time at all uh, since Bamba was the center. Uh, If Beverly does stick around, that could be really fun for Jalen Suggs. Patrick Beverly is a polarizing figure in the NBA, but he's a very, very good defensive guard. Jalen Suggs is already a very, very good defensive guard. If Beverly, again, wants to take on a mentorship role and is retained by Orlando, which, I mean, shoot, by the time you listen to this, there might have already been an announcement that Beverly has been cut by Orlando. It could happen very, very soon. But if it doesn't, I like that potential mentorship role for Suggs going forward. If he does get cut, eh, then it just means that nothing really impacted Suggs' playing time at the deadline. Nine points, three and a half assists, 2.8 rebounds for Jalen on the season. He's shooting over 52% on two-pointers, still struggling from beyond the arc. He was 21% last year. This year, he's at least better than that, but he's still only at 29% from beyond the arc. DeMontis Sabonis is next. Sacramento Kings all-star DeMontis Sabonis. Uh, The only move the Kings made is acquiring former Pepperdine Wave Kessler Edwards. Uh, This means that the Kings now have three WCC players on their roster in DeMontis Sabonis, of course, Matthew Dellavedova, and now Kessler Edwards. The expectation is that Edwards is going to spend most of his time in the G League with the Stockton Kings. So even even if he doesn't, this has no impact on the all-star DeMontis Sabonis and his playing time, currently averaging 18.7 points, 12.2 rebounds, and seven assists. What a monster season for Sabonis. Uh, Really good to see him back in the All-Star game this year as well. Kelly Linick next up, Utah Jazz forward. Uh, The Jazz traded Jared Vanderbilt and Malik Beasley, as we mentioned earlier. They acquired Russell Westbrook, Damian Jones, and Juan Toscano-Anderson. Jones and Toscano-Anderson are more forward center players. They're both pretty far behind Kelly Linick on the depth chart farther behind the depth chart than Jared Vanderbilt was. So this should actually help him probably in a positive way with more playing time. He's still expected to be a starter. He's made 44 starts this season. He's averaging 11 and a half points, five boards, 3.2 assists and shooting 39.6% from deep. Really nice season for Kelly in Utah. Don't expect that to change. Two more guys to talk about here, both who didn't see much change at the trade deadline next up brandon clark uh the memphis grizzlies acquired luke Kennard, former duke's sharpshooter uh they dealt danny green none of that really impacts clark uh, clark's averaging 10 and a half points 5.6 rebounds 1.2 assists uh he's shooting as you would expect a clean 66.8 percent on two pointers just about two-thirds of his twos going down and he's shooting 74 percent from the free throw line i expect his numbers to stay pretty consistent for the rest of the season barring of course an injury of sorts And closing it out, Corey Kispert for the Washington Wizards. Wizards didn't really do anything. They are expected to buy out Will Barton. Uh, That has not been confirmed as of this conversation when we're recording this here Friday morning. Uh, But assuming they do, that may help Corey play a little bit more minutes. Barton has been really struggling this year, so he's going to get potentially bought out and get a chance to go play for a contender. Uh, Corey's played 46 games this year. He's made 30 starts, played about 27 minutes per night. Again, I expect that to stay pretty consistent, if not maybe bump up a little bit. He's averaging 9.5 points, 2.7 rebounds, 1.3 assists, shooting 58% on two-pointers, and a very, very solid 41% from beyond the arc. 
uh, that is going to do it for me today and for this week. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the show on YouTube, leave a review, leave a comment, anything that you want to do, like, subscribe, share it with your friends, your family. Also check out the Lockdown College Basketball Podcast if you haven't done so yet. You can also subscribe to that on YouTube. Very, very much appreciated. All right. Thank you all for listening. Happy early National Gonzaga Day. And as always, go Zags.